Welcome into the House of L podcast, episode one. Our goal with the podcast is simple. We want to take you behind the curtain. We'll talk with your favorite media people about what it is they do. How did they get to where they are and how do they do their job? This week, how do you call a baseball game? That's what our guest Jason Benetti is going to talk to us about. Jason Benetti is the play-by-play man for the Chicago White Sox. I had the chance to talk with Jason at the ballpark. I got to see him in his own environment with a swirl of activity going on around him, a room that's probably meant for two or three people filled with seven or eight people, all as he tries to prepare to call White Sox Twins game. So this is us talking about what it takes to get to where he is and how he goes about doing his job. What's your day like? Walk me through from the moment that you wake up to the moment you get to the ballpark. What do you want to get accomplished? Uh, The moment I wake up, before I put on my makeup, (laughs) I say a little prayer for you. Which we appreciate. Forever and ever, you'll stay in my heart. Uh, Okay, so I get up, and Wimpy's here. If you may hear in the background. I get up up in the morning, uh, and... I check my phone, as people do, and scroll through Twitter, as people do, and then I kind of go into work mode. We have a Google Doc that we use, our, uh, our crew uses together for ideas for the day. So I just go there and see what everybody else has put in and then put in whatever I come to, I guess. So like the night before, I generally build our trivia stuff, socks math from either the game before or whatever's in my head. So I'll do that before I go to sleep. And then like a couple things that hit me from the starting pitcher that's scheduled. So I usually have four or five things in my mind before I go to sleep. So then I wake up and I kind of just... I go to MLB.com, I go to Fangraphs, I scroll through the writers that I have on Twitter, the Major League Baseball people. Uh, if there's a new Effectively Wild podcast, hi Jeff and Ben, uh, I listen to that. Uh, Buster Olney's podcast is really good. Uh, that's on my list of, of things to do on a day-to-day basis just to see what's going on. I'll turn on MLB Network and just kind of have it on in the background. Um, but then it's just kind of where does my mind go? I've got a I've got a database of players and stuff on my computer uh, with stories and things like that. So I kind of just scroll through and say, oh, what what tickles my fancy today? So it's it's kind of just free form. Where's my mind going today? But there's also a structure to it within the system of our crew and within the checklist that I kind of build for myself. When you finally make it to the ballpark, what things need to be in place for you to feel like you're ready to do your job? I have to have a microphone. For sure. Um, No, I. so everybody's got a systematic way they do their scorebook, I think, in this job. Some people put a lot of things down. Some people put not much down. But things I have to have are... uh, something new about each player every day whether or not I use it uh, I don't know but I usually have one or two notes in pen that I haven't whether it be background information about a player where he's from 
why he chose his jersey number, just something that I have in my notes that I haven't talked about that I think is relevant. Um, but I've got to go down to the clubhouse and just see what's going on, talk to players. I usually write questions either in my notes on my computer or in my book from the night before, like things that I need to get answered. Like today, as we're sitting here talking, i got to find out why Yolmer Sanchez decided to dump a bucket on himself and, like, who saw it coming and did he tell anybody and that kind of thing. Because that is the type of situation that interests the heck out of me. Like, where does that come from in somebody's mind? It's a wonderful thing, but what is he calling it? What are they calling it? That type of thing. But I've got to go down to the clubhouse in some regard and get some things answered from the night before. Uh, if it's an NBC Sports Chicago show, I'll talk to Chuck Garfine about what stories he has. Uh, Stoney and I typically will talk about what we're going to do in the open. Uh, and what else? Uh, nuts and bolts-wise in the scorebook, I have full stat line. Uh, in my book and then a note or two of things that I find contextually interesting for that day but I like to have the full stat line in there just as a backbone of who the player's been this year um, I put ages in my scorebook why? because I like to remind myself kind of where they've come from where they are in their careers and sometimes it'll come up especially with a young team and I know Yohan Moncada is 22 but there's a lot going on over the course of the game and I'm a big write it down just to have it in front of you sort of guy uh, I have in each player's box what they've done in the series and maybe a little jog your memory struck out on a curveball you know whatever it might be uh, how they've done against that pitcher historically uh, and then if we've seen them earlier this year, I'll take a note about what the Sox did against that pitcher specifically. Like Jose Barrios uh, had his most swinging strikes on the curveball in his first start against the Sox and also looked like some combination of like Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale, and Jesus <laughs> in that first start. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Are you uh, that? Sorry. No, yeah, it's fine. No, okay. I'm, I'm actually happy to have that. I want the. I, that's the whole point of me taking my podcast on the road is that I want oh. to be able to pick up some of the sound that goes on. So the fact that I've got Wimpy on on the podcast is great. It works out. Right. <laughs> How many podcasts have you been on? Are you just mumbling in the background now? I gotta do this. <laughs> okay. Bye. You don't have I mean, to whisper. He's whispering now. I'm yeah. yelling Jesus we'll, earlier. Okay, so long, everybody. See? We'll just edit I'll that out. That's what we'll do. We'll edit it out. Uh, Alright, so wait. I'm gonna close the door. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna move the fire extinguisher. There's actually a fire extinguisher holding the door open. That props up the door. Yeah. Big budget. I want to ask you a question about Barrios. Mm -hmm. It has to do with getting names right. Uh -huh. If I'm looking at Barrios, I'm thinking Barrios. Well, Barrios, how hard do you work on making sure that you get names right? Like, what's the, the check and balance on that for you? Ask the player. It's almost got to be ask the player at this point because there are so many pronunciations of so many people's names. Major League Baseball sends out a document that has proper pronunciations. They are not always right. They just, nobody's right until you talk to the person. I, in my opinion, you have to talk to the person. 
I agree with you. But I, if you don't get the opportunity before the game, you kind of have to take somebody's word for it who's been doing the game, but that's not always enough. It's just not. It's amazing how often we can get a name wrong, you know, just because maybe we've yeah. seen it before and we assume that that's the way. Wait, am I, am I correct in saying Benetti? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually been Smith the whole time. <laughs> They're all silent. When I say when I see Jose Barrios, I actually think of Bernard Berrien. Oh, okay. That I don't makes know sense. why I think of Bernard Berrien. The former I, Bears wide receiver. Then I start thinking of Jeff Joniak. And thinking that Devin Hester is ridiculous. Yeah. All and then I start yelling things. fade to black. Well, of course. In my head. Do do other broadcasters calls swim in your head so that you don't double up on those calls? It's hard. It's hard. Like, I said, oh, my, the other night, and I thought, well, somewhere Dick Enberg's pissed at me. But a lot of things have been taken. You know, like, if I just yell, Ottoman Empire, people are going to think I'm crazy. But nobody said that before. But they might think you're crazy. There are some exclamations that have been uh, appropriated. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So you, your book and the way that you take score mm-hmm. in a game how much does that play into your call? Like, are you... If you were just... If, let's say you and I are at a game. Yeah. And you're taking score. Would your scorecard look differently than when you're broadcasting a game? I am so in my zone when it comes to the way I keep score that it's difficult for me not to, every pitch, write something in my scorebook at this point. Because I keep pitch count in my book like the first pitch of an at bat I'll mark with a plus so I know first pitch strikes so I can look back at my book and say Daniel Polka last night homered on the first pitch I like to know sequencing like that now I I am going to get a little bit more detailed now with pitch FX data and stat cast I can know what type of pitch almost immediately, and I can go back and look at it if I've forgotten what type of pitch got somebody out, and zone profiles and spray charts and things like that, so so I know how people are getting pitched and shifts. and So I actually think I could be a little bit more detailed, but when I sit in the stands, I get like antsy that I don't have my scorebook in front of me, and I would keep it the very same way that I do doing the game. Do you, is that a struggle? Because your job is you have to key everyone in on what's going on. Is it hard to multitask because you're, you're worried about what's happening on the field, what your partner's saying, and then what's going on with your scorebook? How do you juggle it? I have two things to say about that. One is I would like to tell you that you just get so good at multitasking that it doesn't affect you. And then two is, I've seen enough psychological research that suggests even if you think you're good at multitasking, you're not. So TV is easier. Because on radio, you have to have every pitch locked in. Out of the wind, here's the 3-2 from Barrios. TV, that whole statement is me sitting there if I want it to be. And just letting the pitch come. So there's, there's that extra moment where I can stop and say, okay, just with my eyes, I'm not saying this out loud, with my eyes, scoreboard, shift, batter, and I get all those names. There's just that moment where you kind of reset. And I find when I'm talking while I'm thinking, while I'm formulating a statement, if I'm starting to talk at that point, I make a mistake. 
wow. and that's because of multitasking. I mean, when you when even when you start to use the word and in a sentence, compound sentences while you're doing a game, while you're keeping score, while you're keeping track of situation, put you in more peril of making some error in your statement or wandering mentally or whatever. It's just not going to be as precise if you start to talk about two things at once. How did you figure that out? Just listening to tapes of mine and other people's. I mean, you hear, if you listen to young announcers, I think you'll, you'll hear them rushing. And part of rushing is having three things to say at once and rolling, rolling them all into one sentence. So I think, um, I think that's kind of how I figured that out. But, but play-by-play uh, -play in some ways is a battle of wills against yourself because you want to say everything on your mind and you have to edit it, especially nowadays when we all have so much information at our fingertips. It's about having the information in the moment, but the most relevant information uh, at that point. When you had brought up StatCast pitch effects, I was wondering, how do you balance trying to give the audience the information that they need and make them a smarter participant in the broadcast uh, without going overboard. Yeah, the question is what information do they need? I mean, different people need different things to have a great enjoyment of the telecast. If, if I can't say at the end of a statement, what's my takeaway? If I can't be sitting at home and say, the reason for him saying that was blank, I, I probably shouldn't have given the stat. I really probably shouldn't have. If we put up, the other night, we put up, jeez, uh, who was pitching? Oh, it was a day game. Carlos Martinez for, uh, for the Cardinals. So Carlos Martinez is pitching, and his zone profile, so you have the strike zone and batting average in each quadrant, right? So you have the zone profile, and it's by batting average by quadrant. And you look at pitches down the middle, pipe shot, fastball, slider, whatever it was. The batting average against for him is 214 down the middle 214 and Stoney who is curious about advanced stuff but hasn't always had it in his life immediately after we showed that he goes well it's got a lot of movement that's the takeaway that's why you put that on the screen is that down the middle he's not giving up anything if he's not giving up anything down the middle where are you going to hurt him that's the takeaway. That's why you do that. But if you can't say that about just about anything you're saying statistically, people are going to frown on it, I think. Or just say, well, why did he say that? What's the point? Why do you think in baseball, maybe more than basketball, well, to a certain extent hockey and football, we care so much about advancing where we are from a numbers standpoint? Well, the numbers connect the generations in baseball. I mean, everybody's got a batting average. And you look and say, well, will anybody be Ted Williams? I don't know. What does the batting average tell us? Well, at this point, I think we know that we have better metrics than that. And because baseball has such a rich history and we have so much more information about baseball than other sports, just in terms of volume of games, I think we believe that stats tell us more about baseball simply because of volume of games, but also because of baseball cards. You grow up looking at baseball cards and that's your connection to players in some regard. 
uh, and they come with the stats. It's like a part of them. But the interesting thing to me about advanced stats is the people who played and are in the older generation and go on TV, radio, whatever, and poo-poo advanced stats, or spin rate, or launch angle, guaranteed, guaranteed, if they were playing right now and somebody said, here's a piece of information that can make you better, they'd run, raise their hands, and say, give it to me right now. That's why it's disingenuous for people from an older generation to say advanced stats in some regard are not useful. I've always thought it was weird where you could have a conversation with someone who is anti-advanced stats and you could be saying the same thing with the statistics that you're using. I'll, I'll use on-base percentage. Not that that's an advanced stat, but it's something that a lot of baseball people probably more openly care about now than they did before. And if, if I talk to you about having a guy at the top of your lineup who has a 350 on-base percentage, the old-school person might say, I need a guy who walks a lot. And we're saying the same thing. I, I'm just using a percentage and saying I want him on base 35% of the time. Yeah. You're saying the same thing that I am. How do we bridge that divide? Well, I think, I think it's by analogy in part. And I'm formulating this analogy on the fly, so bear with me if it's terrible off the top. But there's at least, at least something workable here on the scratch pad. If you tell somebody who doesn't like advanced stats that they're going shopping and uh, something is 225 per pound, but there's also another stat that says it's uh, 150 per time it pops your taste buds and tastes good, right? Hypothetically, you can pay less for something that tastes better very quickly very quickly, that person will say, well, I'm going to pay less and get something that tastes better. If analytics were called happy numbers <laughs> or <laughs> you know, something, something more easily digestible. Analytics sounds bad. Whoever marketed analytics in the first place did it wrong. I, I don't know what it needs to be called, but analytics says guy in room with wires not Lester Freeman but no. some guy in a room with wires it also may say guy who's never played baseball yeah. I'm using air quotes right now right which I get but like <laughs> I, I don't know why that's a requirement agreed if, if I read the rules to risk over and over again, over and over again. And all I did was read the rules to risk and work out simulations. I'd probably beat somebody at risk that didn't know the rules as well, but played a lot. There's, there's a good, there's a decent chance you could do that. Uh, but it's not, that's the thing. Now we get into this conversation about some divide. We mean the same thing. And also pulling back from the stat conversation, we watch baseball to get to know those players. I want to know who they are. That's what Vin always wanted to know. That's what 
Red Barber, from my understanding, always wanted to know, is who and what they're doing and how they're doing it. The reason these stats are important is we gain an appreciation for more players in the game. How is that a bad thing? What does that hurt? And by the way, eyewitness testimony is not reliable. We know that. Not that your adrenaline's pumping at a baseball game like it would be at a robbery, right? But a lot of people's decision-making on baseball players is based on completely imperfect information. Oh, I saw him three times and I loved him. Well, I think Jose Barrios is the best pitcher in America based on his one start against the Sox, but somebody else just knocked him around pretty good. So I have this high opinion of him, whereas it's probably not as magical as, as we thought, and it, it, and it might be. But the stats, the stats turn one decision into something more thoughtful. When you hear the soundtrack of baseball in your own head, because at this point, even though you've only been doing this for the White Sox for a couple of years, there are now young children, young adults, that hear Jason Benetti's voice when they start thinking baseball. And I know that you're too humble to, to want that to be the case, but it is the case. For you, who is that soundtrack of baseball? That's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I always forget that people invite me over for dinner. Strange. You're in their house for three hours a night. Yeah, and I don't get any B and E raps for it. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I'm glad that they haven't hauled you off to jail. Yeah, for I sneaking have... into people's houses yeah. for three hours a night and sitting down at their dinner table. You know, Santa gets to do so much that a lot. none of us get to do, but only one day. <laughs> it's that's true. that's the key. <laughs> if, if Santa shows up, if Santa shows up on June third. There's a problem, yeah. and he's probably shot. It ain't Christmas. <laughs> Get out of my chimney. Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling the police. The only dancer is him trying to get out of the way of whatever is coming his way That's from the right. owner of the house. Uh, I think it's remarkable how much people care about baseball, and it is a lovely thing. And for me, it's, it's Hawk and Wimpy, and it's John Rooney and Ed Farmer. I mean, this... <laughs> This week, Lawrence, this week, I already know Ed Farmer. Uh, I met John Rooney for the first time, and John says, Oh, I love your broadcasts. What? <laughs> I grew up listening to you. Oh, and by the way, uh, Wimpy's doing the next series with you. Right. Oh, okay, so it's like some edition of This Is Your Life, where I just automatically win. And it's crazy. I sit, and, you know, the Carrie Wood anniversary is coming up. And I don't talk about that on Sox telecasts for, I think, obvious reasons. But I remember coming home from school and watching the Carrie Wood game. And Stoney's there. I, I'm surrounded by people I grew up with. And I forget that people are doing that with me. And it's a really daunting thing. I and mean, it's really daunting to think that people are taking what you say and, and telling other people that. But I don't think about it on the air. I only think about it when you ask me. Stop texting me at 11 o'clock asking me that question. I lose sleep. <laughs> I want you to be thinking about that yeah. question Wake all up. the time. All right? I want you to, to be able to get it. What's next for you? You're not 40 years old yet. Are you even close? Are you 30, 32? 34. 34 years old. Yeah. 
and you have your dream job. What's that like? Uh, there is a, uh, there's, you watch Arrested Development? I do. The newest season? I haven't seen it yet. The, the one, it came out a couple years ago. The one on Netflix. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm caught up. Okay. Yeah. So uh, maybe gets a Lifetime Achievement Award, like the Opie Awards or something like that, because they're lampooning Ron Howard, and maybe gets this Lifetime Achievement Award, and she just goes up to the stage and just MFs the hell out of everybody. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> but it's also a little alarm. She's she's at the time like 22 or whatever, eight, 19. Uh it's also pretty alarming to have your your lifetime achievement award being handed to you at 34. Like, what is that? I don't. I have nothing on the horizon, really. I mean, help people is on the list. Uh, raise awareness for how stupid it is when people judge people for one trait, whether it's race or gender or disability or sexual orientation or whatever it is. That's on the list because that's real dumb when people do that. Uh, and I think. Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, create a book of crossword puzzles or something. I'm How? a big Will Shorts fan. I don't even know what what's possibly next for you. How? And it's great. Like I, I don't want you to feel like we're gonna put you in a coffin next. I, I want you to I want you to feel like that this is inspirational. That there are young people. There are young people who are disabled that are looking at you and going, man, look at what Jason Benetti has done. Does that make you uncomfortable that that you, in some respects, will be held up as a role model? Here's why I, uh, I am happy to provide whatever hope I can to anybody. I do not disregard that. I do not take it lightly. I... Uh, love the fact that that can be a possibility. The one thing that I am uncomfortable with is being a bastion for hope with regard to anybody who has a disability. Because uh, I wasn't exactly the most chivalrous in that I talk for a living, but I don't walk good. You know, I didn't decide to go and be a, a biathlete. Mm-hmm. Or something, and there are a lot of people. I mean, there are, the CP has such a range, such a range. I mean, there are people who use assistive speech devices. There are people who are in Why a wheelchair, and there, there's, there's a lot going on in terms of hurdles. So for people to see me and say, "Well, you can do anything you want," I, I always come back to Little Miss Sunshine and Paul Dano's character realizing at the end of the movie that he'll never be a pilot because he's red-green colorblind. There are people out there who really would have a very difficult time doing what I do, and I would have a very difficult time doing what they do. But for me, in the face of how wide-ranging cerebral palsy is, to be the bastion of hope for people who have anything is not fair to them. The message of go do whatever is in your heart always plays. We are, that's a, you know what that is? That's a lovely reminder that we actually still are in the real world. Yeah. Because we were talking very philosophically. Absolutely. And, but it's true. I mean, it's a very difficult thing to always, there are hurdles. 
And a buddy of mine who works at the University of Oregon just sent me a couple days ago a story about a young man who has CP who just ran a half marathon. Wow. Yeah. With, with some new technologically savvy shoes that have been created by a company to help with people who have CP who want to run. I wrote him a note and basically said, like, you have no idea who I am. You live in Oregon. Uh, and I'm not being self-deprecating, but, like, you are way more inspirational than somebody who says, well, I have this weakness, and then I'm going to do something that has nothing to do with it. And this kid just, like, ran right into the wind. How awesome is that? Like, that, to me, is everything. That's how you, that's how you really say, forget about any negatives. I'm going to go do this. So, like, maybe I'll run a half marathon at some point. Probably not. <laughs> but that's cool. That's the type of person that's inspirational to me. Well, if you decide you want to run a half, uh-huh. I am I am right now at 8K. I can run 8K fairly comfortably. I thought you were saying you'd offer me $8,000 to do it. No, I am not going to offer you $8,000 because that's the way that you will do it, and then I have to write you a check. Although, I feel like I would give you $8,000 in pennies. Like, that would be <laughs> the way that I would approach it. Does if anybody you, know where there's a coin star? <laughs> you only get 10 cents on the dollar on those. Yeah. If you do run one, I will run it with you. Wow. And that is breaking my, my, my oath of never going above 10K. But if you decide that you want to run a half marathon, I will run it with you. Side by side. Lawrence, that's a gauntlet. See? I got I to gotta start training outside of baseball season, though. There's not a lot of time right now. That's why I feel pretty great about not having to run. <laughs> yeah, but that's a total excuse that I just threw at you. Like, it's a complete excuse. Thank you for doing this, man. We're done? We're done. That's it? That's it. Awesome. Podcasts aren't supposed to be long. We always already... go somewhere else. It's good. That's the way this is. I mean, I like you. I I adore you. Aww. Like, that's the good thing about this. This is the way it's supposed to go. Well, thanks, Lawrence. No, thank you. Thank you for your time. Glad to.